Greetings, everyone. I'm so glad you're here today joining me on Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. You can find out more about me at bouldernutrition.com. My inspiration with Satiate is to offer you functional nutrition, food psychology, and well being insights, to share with you case studies and stories that can act as salve for your soul, to share with you some of my most favorite special guests and experts from all over the country and to offer you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, heart, and soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful to have you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That will help me get the podcast out into the world to the listeners who need it most. Today's podcast guest is a dear friend and peer, Lisa Fair. Lisa is a dynamic speaker, an accredited master yoga teacher, and forgiveness educator. In 15 years of speaking and teaching everywhere from Lululemon to Harley Davidson to Glide, she has inspired over 20,000 people to embrace the power of forgiveness. Lisa trains people and companies to cultivate the number one skill needed to reduce stress and increase productivity forgiveness. With her proven method of fear less, forgive more, Lisa uses humor, storytelling, and yogic principles to teach people and companies to let go of debilitating beliefs and discover the freedom and joy of life. Her new book, Thirst, a memoir, was recently published this past winter and is a beautiful story of her life about discovering the distance between the lives we were given and the lives we choose. It's a story about survival, hope, yoga, self-discovery, and the tremendous support of compassionate communities. It touches the part of each of us that longs for the healing power of laughter, that transformative force of forgiveness, and the bravery required to learn to love again. I hope you enjoy today's episode of Satiate. It's great to have you on the podcast, Lisa, and it's it's great to see you. I feel like I've barely seen you throughout this pandemic like most of us. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's great to be here, and it's really nice to see you too. Thanks, Sue. So this winter, your book came out, which I remember you've been working on for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. And I know it's been a big reveal for you because it's obviously a memoir and a very close to your heart part of your life. So tell us a little bit about you and your book and like how this came to be. Great question. Thank you. It, It was a long time. It has been a long time, about 13 years to be exact. And wow. the 
I know. And the average uh, I hear for memoirs is about seven. So I almost doubled that. But uh, it takes what it takes, right? And so what happened in my experience is that over 13 years ago, it felt like I had this little tap on my shoulder, you know, this little, this little indication or a request, if you will, to capture uh, what isn't just my experience, but a lot of experiences. And what I mean by that is when I was young and growing up in a house that had, like a lot of us, a lot of trauma, um, a lot of secrets, a lot of uh, things that went on behind closed doors. And then we would go out into the world and we'd put on, like I say, our plastic smiles and pretend that everything was fine. And it really wasn't. Mm. But I kept looking for my experience in books. So I was an avid reader and uh, I kept not even consciously, but trying to find a character I could relate to. And I haven't. So that's a main reason for this book is I know that there are so many children who grow up with domestic violence, who grow up with violence in a lot of different forms, who grow up with feelings of alienation and insecurity and angst, all those things. And um, so really this book is for them, mm. I would say. Yeah. And so the tapping on my shoulder, I sort of would turn my back on it. I'd write down a little bit and then I'd, I'd think, oh, I don't really need to do that or I don't want to do that. And it, eventually it was really tugging at my sleeve. <laughs> and there was something about this pandemic that I think for a lot of us have made things crystal clear, priorities and life callings, you know, things that um, have felt undone for many of us in a lot of ways. And this is one of those. So it kind of lit a fire under my asana <laughs> to get this book, <laughs> to get this book up and out. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know that there's a lot of history within the pages of your book that I'm sure were challenging to write in many cases. Maybe, maybe it was even healing to write about it. I'm not sure, but for the listeners, you know, do you want to give them a little synopsis about what your book is about? Absolutely. Yeah. So the book um, is about my path to forgiveness. When uh, shortly after I turned 12, uh, as I mentioned, I had grown up in a family where there was a lot of violence, a lot of domestic violence. And uh, as a little kid, I remember telling my mom that she should leave my dad. And uh, that really, that really shocks me looking back, you know, that I had a sense that things were that dangerous and escalating. Um, and she did actually leave um, shortly. Well, I think it was 11 and a half. And about six months later, my parents got together to divide furniture with the help of um, some legal support. And my father ended up taking my mother's life really brutally. And uh, I very understandably was full of rage. And I don't know about anybody else, but I never learned 
I never got an education in emotional intelligence, right? I saw the worst of anger and rage. And then I saw a lot of pretending, but I didn't really see or learn how to navigate through feelings and experiences and certainly not relationships. So this memoir called Thirst is really the path, my path um, to finding forgiveness that began with rage. And so my hope is that myself and a lot of people included get conversations around forgiveness that we can begin to talk about how to, how to navigate through emotions. Um, I think there can be a lot of misperceptions around forgiveness, that it's supposed to be just pretty and happen in an instant. And I'm here to tell you that that is not my experience, that, that forgiveness for me began in rage, mm. you know? And um, I have learned through a lot of people, through wonderful communities, um, how to work through emotions, you know, and, uh, what we would call life hacks, you know, concrete tools to deal with anger and disappointment and deep hurt. Um, yeah. and so I feel a sense of obligation really, because my life is so good, you know, that's so good to hear. So I could never have a been, yeah, right. As just happy and free as I feel today. Wow. You know, and when I saw you, when I came to pick up your book, I know, I know that getting our work into the world in general can be very vulnerable. I know for me, it was, um, when I wrote my first book, which was not a memoir. So, and also your story has, you know, just a lot of trauma embedded in it and a lot of grace and beauty as well as I read through the pages. And I kind of like got to see Lisa as a teenager and some of the nuances that you share in your writing, but how is it having your story in the world? I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it's kind of intense. Asking that. <laughs> it's intense, Sue. It's so intense. And you're right. A lot of people that know me as a yoga teacher or a Sanskrit teacher or a paddleboard teacher, or just, you know, somebody who shops at Whole Foods or whatever, right? Um, we don't know each other on that level. So it's been bizarre. It's been really, really um, different uh, to have people learn about what I was like as a teenager. Oh, Lisa as a teenager was such a punk ass, you know? And uh I know that a lot of teenagers are, <laughs> but I don't know that we all sort of write it down and, and tell on ourselves in that way. But that part has been so important for me. Well, that's one of the hacks is to learn who I can tell on myself to. So even though this is a very broad, <laughs> broad telling of myself, I feel like even beneath my, my awkwardness and discomfort of having that level of intimacy out in the world, there are so many incredible conversations that are coming about. So many people that are reaching out, people that I know and I don't know who are sharing their hearts and their soul and their questions about um, their family interactions and questions about forgiveness. Um, it's really amazing. 
Mm, I'm sure. Yeah. One, one thing that really stood out to me when I was reading your book was it was a phase after everything had happened with your parents. And I believe that your dad was in jail and you were at a boarding school and you hadn't told anyone about this trauma in your childhood. It was probably pretty fresh, if I remember correctly, like maybe within that year. Yes. And then going from that feeling like so, like you're holding that so close and I'm sure you were just in such a, you know, state of going through the many layers of grief and trauma and rage and everything else in all these different ways. But how do you feel like you could get from that place of wanting to hide that story to this place of wanting to share that story. It's such a amazing like spectrum that you've gone from there to here today. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. And really there's this phrase that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And I, I really feel like that fits for me um, is that the, the courage um, that it's taken to write and reveal and heal um, has come from being accepted and loved. It started, Sue, with my high school advisor. So I did go to boarding school and I did lie to everyone about how my mom died. And mm -hmm. I don't know, for those of us who are or have been liars, <laughs> it's a lot of work right? Oh, it's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah. It's a full-time job to keep up with who you told what to. And mm -hmm. that's, that's difficult to navigate. That's hard to manage. But Mr. Betterly was my high school advisor. And I want to just give a shout out to the teachers and the advisors, the academics. Oh my goodness. We have seen them prevail this year. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my life, that was the first person that I trusted was my teacher. He was wow. my history teacher. And I, I didn't give a rat's ass about history, <laughs> but, um, and I feel terrible that I cheated my way through his classes. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the answers to tests on the inside of my jeans, which I probably shouldn't, I'm sure that's an old trick, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there was something about Mr. Betterly that let me know that he was safe and he was solid, and he was the first person that I told ever. Wow. And he held that information for me. It makes me choked up because um, he helped save my life. Mm. You know, my dad um, was in prison and ended up only serving six years in prison for a heinous crime. Um, mm. So, uh, some of what I've had to forgive is the judicial system I'm sure. <laughs> and my experience of it. But uh, he got out, my dad got out just in time for my high school graduation. I remember. Which, in the right. I didn't want him there. That was supposed to be my day. Ugh. But Mr. Betterly helped me process some of my emotions just in a very general way. You know, he let me know that it was safe to just cry in his office, um, mm -hmm. that it was a very difficult time, you know, just validating my experience 
and in many ways normalizing it, you know, which was so important mm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing when you can look back and see these really significant people and they might not even have been who you thought they would be, right? It's like, yes. Yeah. So obviously, um, you know, your journey has, I'm sure had many, many iterations and phases and different pieces that have all led you to here today. But I'm curious, we know that healing from trauma, especially and healing in general, is not linear Mm -hmm. and also that it can be a lifelong journey. And I know that you've danced with trauma probably in a larger way than many of us with how your childhood unfolded. But I also see you as, you know, thriving and free and such a beautiful light in the world right now. And what have you learned about, you're welcome. What have you learned about this? Like, what have you learned about trauma and healing and taking care of yourself in this process? I know that's a heavy question. (laughs) It is. And it's so important though. I really appreciate how you stated that Sue, that it's not linear, you know, because I think that in myself and probably we get these messages uh, from different areas that it's supposed to be this upward trajectory. And the truth is, is that it's a very windy road, you know, and, um, when I have found myself in a place that feels safe, I notice that there are, are another layer of feelings and things to be healed, which almost seems contradictory, right? It's like, wait, I feel good about myself. Why is this crap coming up? And I believe that it's coming up to be healed. Um, one of the things you and I chatted about just before this Um, this podcast was about our healing practice of yoga, right? And I'm sure we'll get a little bit further into that. But there's a phrase that our issues are in our tissues, Mm -hmm. right? Quite literally, you know, not just our Kleenex, (laughs) but in the (laughs) tissues in our body, right? (laughs) I never thought about the tissue box. That's a good one. I just went right to the next, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they're probably in many tissues as well, but in our physical body, for sure. Yes. I think they're in our physical body, you know, the tissues that make up our physical form before they get to, you know, the Kleenex. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, I feel like I'm getting away from your question. No, it's okay. Um, Um, But yeah, it hasn't been a linear path and I've needed to find, for me, especially, I was terrified of my anger. And for a lot of years, I just wouldn't even go there. You know, I had this internal wall that prevented me from getting to the depths of my anger. And I had to hit a bottom. I really had to hit a point that I realized And this was a snotty, messy moment that uh, I could no longer continue the way that I was going, Mm -hmm. that I could no longer continue trying to block off those feelings because they prevented me from feeling joy and happiness and connectedness to the depth that I really crave. Wow. That's a really great phrase. I mean, 
when you can really see that connection, it's reminds me of that quote that Brene Brown shares about if we numb one feeling, we numb them all. Yes. And you just kind of hit that right in your own words, that same type of um, meaning. So yeah, how profound but, to discover that. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. I love that Brene Brown, so many Brene Brown quotes, but I love that. And the thing that feels important to emphasize is that it sounds like that kind of moment would be um, orchestrated by angels, you know, like this, <laughs> totally. you know, and for me, it was like a pile of poo, you know, it just <laughs> felt so awful. Yeah. I could yeah. not even fathom that this was a transformative moment. Right. But it was. And I think that's really important to dispel any myths. For some people, there might be angels and cherubs and, you know, unicorns. There might be. But I didn't have that, you know, mm -hmm. in that moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. You wow. know. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of your healing and journey in especially later in your adult life has come through the practices of yoga meditation chanting embodiment and yes. i'm so curious to talk to you about this because as we were talking earlier you know i've gone through my pieces in my life trauma related and really done a lot of work through my physical yoga practice and the spiritual side of yoga there's been so many great teachers in our community that have been available to us, which I feel so grateful for. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm so wanting to just go into this piece around how can we use these practices? And I know that there's many styles, many embodiment practices. Some people may never step foot on a yoga mat, but might have their own way of working through these um, intense, you know, healing healing a trauma is an intense, intense project for all of us. But what can yes, you tell yes. me about these different aspects of your yoga meditation chanting that have led you through some of the peaks and valleys? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, even before I really began to feel comfortable practicing yoga, I had begun practicing over 20 years ago, um, and I, I just felt awkward in my body, you know, like I think a lot of us do when we first try anything. Mm -hmm. So at that time when I was just discovering um, the practice of physical yoga, I also was practicing the movement of walking around the block. You know, when I, when I first began noticing that there was a tightness in my stomach or my throat, or I began to be so filled with anger and rage at whatever was happening in that moment in my life, that I learned the practice of pausing and mm. breathing and moving. Mm. So for me, I felt more comfortable walking around the block or taking five deep breaths or both. And then those began to infiltrate onto my yoga mat. You know, that practice that I was doing of, of just moving and back to this, the issues are in our tissues, right? So we believe, I believe that, mm -hmm. that what we experience in our lives gets stored into our body. And so wow. any kind of movement practice um, can help 
bring light and energy and breath and movement to areas that might be a little constricted, both physically and emotionally, right? And so just like anything, we get better at what we practice. And the better for me has just been getting more comfortable in my physical body. Um, I talk about this in the book, but I was so uncoordinated as a kid (laughs) that I failed, I failed PE, I failed physical education, not because I was trying to fail it, but because I just, it felt so overwhelming and unfamiliar to Mm. take residence in my body. If that makes sense. It's scary too. It's scary. Yeah. Such big stuff at home. I don't know whether this was pre or post your mom passing, but you know, either way, there was a a lot of intense violence and scary stuff going on inside of your house. And being that young and trying to like be in your body, I could see how that could be so overwhelming. Right. Right. And, you know, one of the things, um, so those who uh, practice yoga, or even if you don't, there are some postures that are called awkward poses. (laughs) And I love that. Right. Thank you for acknowledging what I feel so often. You know, if we if we look at puppies, um, you know, they go through a phase in their bodies where you can tell they're growing at a rate that's different than they're comfortable with, right? You know, they're running and their butts kind of travel in front of their heads. Totally. (laughs) And so, so I, like a lot of us probably, and certainly through puberty felt that way. Mm -hmm. And so the practice of moving and breathing through these postures on the mat helps me get more comfortable with the awkward. Mm. And I think that that has been a life changer for me. I know that's been a life changer right? Is that I'm more comfortable in my skin today than I ever have been. Even in places where I still have a lot of social anxiety. And um, before I practiced yoga, I was an avid smoker. (laughs) Mm. I was an avid smoker and drinker. And so I always had something to do with my hands. Mm. And when those began to dissipate, I remember this distinct feeling of what the hell do I do with my hands? You know, yeah. it reminds me of that old um, Saturday Night Live skit, you know, where Mary Catherine Gallagher is putting her hands in her armpits. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I didn't know what to do with my hands. But I think whether we have that physically and or emotionally, I think that's something that we can all relate to. And so finding some practice that helps us feel more at home in our skin. Yeah. So I can totally relate with the yoga being a kind of a vehicle or an opportunity to sit with whatever is going on. And sometimes as we both know, that can be very uncomfortable and it would be much easier to not In fact, I've just been really revisiting this with my shoulder injury and almost avoiding yoga practice at times because it hurts and it's a different kind of uncomfortable than emotional, but it's been an interesting thing to watch. 
I feel like there's a profound opportunity for something to shift and it might not always look pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So in your diversity of practice of being on your yoga mat, you obviously have a very devout chanting practice. I know you've traveled a lot to India and been, you know, had some in-depth training through that lineage. Can you get into a little bit of the, the different nuances of these practices for us and what they give you? Sure. Uh, I began learning to chant. You know, I never wanted to be a yoga teacher. I just wanted to go to yoga school and learn why it's like I wanted to go behind the scenes and see how does this stuff work? You know, I was feeling the transformative effects that we just talked about and Mm -hmm. the skeptic in me wanted proof. (laughs) So I went through my first teacher training and I was very nervous. Um, And I thought if I just sound like I know what I'm doing, then I'll fool everyone, including myself. So Sanskrit wasn't, <laughs> isn't that funny? That so I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of mileage in my life out of impure motives. And, <laughs> I, you know, I just think that that speaks to the power of something much greater than myself. <laughs> so no, my, no. I really just wanted to fool everyone. And so I took um, a Sanskrit class in Denver and I fell in love. I fell in love with the language. I like to say I got seduced by Sanskrit, the language of yoga. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was my introduction to chanting and the power of sound and voice. And you know, back to this awkwardness, Sue, we were talking about that in our bodies, I had that in my voice. You know, I felt like I sounded like an injured duck <laughs> when I... <laughs> And, you know, my neighbors might attest to that. But, you know, the point is, is that I think it's just important to start where we are. Right. I'm so grateful Mm. to to have been taught that to start where we are physically, you know, especially when we come back after an injury or we're new to a practice. Um, So that was my foray into Sanskrit. And I found a doorway that was really unexpected. And that was, my mom was an opera singer. Mm. And in this process of learning to chant in a different language, it created this bridge that I felt a deep connection with my mom, even though she'd been long gone, um, that I don't even know that I have words to describe. You know, that feel like there's some potency in what you're saying. It's powerful. Mm, yeah. Wow. I yeah. had no idea about that piece at all. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And so I know that that's just my experience, but I know that for so many of us, using our voice is very challenging, right? For some of us, mm, it's saying absolutely. no. For some of us, it's saying yes or taking our seat in you know, our role as a parent, a teacher, a student, uh, a lover, whatever, right? Um, Mm, Absolutely. 
And so I found those ripple effects from my chanting practice. Um, And I found a way for me, it's using my body and my voice as a form of prayer. And I know that we all have different ideas. My relationship to that word prayer has shifted and I hope it continues to shift, but it feels like an offering. It feels like this place where the, the M in me, in the word me, M-E, gets shifted to a W. And I feel a connection both with myself and a sense of we. Mm. So it's it's this transformation from me to we that I don't lose myself. I gain a deeper connection. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's profound. And I'm glad that you brought that up because there are so many different interpretations of that word, so many orientations of that Mm. word. There's probably, you know, as many as there are people. Yeah. Truly. Um, And at the same time, you know, there's some universals we can definitely lean into. And I I really like that. Mm -hmm. And I also love that, you know, in the yoga postures, we call them salutations. Mm-hmm. which I think is so lovely, isn't it? I think it's a much more digestible um, word and concept, you know? So if someone's struggling with this idea of prayer, salutation, I think it's just like a sweet greeting, you know? Like we yep. say, hi, Sue, it's great to see you. You know, we say that to the sun with our bodies. We say it to the moon and the earth and all the things. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow. One interesting uh part of your book and I and I'm actually having a hard time remembering if it's in your book or if it's been more in some of your more recent posts because obviously we follow each other on social media as well but Mm -hmm. you talk a lot about one how you wanted to be strong and how Mm. you wanted to be resilient and how you had this urge to feel like you were um you know you could protect yourself you could take care of yourself and a lot of that, I think, if I remember correctly, came from some of the pieces of your story of your trauma, like a reaction that you wanted to ensure that you were able to defend yourself and to take care of yourself. And I'm just curious if you would speak to that a little bit. Obviously, you know, feeling strong in our bodies is one aspect, but also feeling strong, you know, in our emotional body is another. And maybe the word resiliency is even a bit more accurate. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear, I would love to hear kind of what, what that like path has looked like for you. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. As a little kid, I just pictured myself as a little kid. Um, so my father inflicted uh, a lot of emotional, a lot of verbal and uh and physical violence on namely my mother and my brother. And um, those of us uh, a little familiar with it know that there are cycles to violence, you know, so there's this kind of ebb and flow um, to that, that um, I saw growing up, but, but when it, it would escalate into physical violence as a little kid, I would kind of pound my little fists on my dad's back to try to get him to stop beating my brother. 
um, or my mother. And that's curious to me because I was meeting violence with violence, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is and what kids do, right? We just mirror. Courageous. I mean, you're this little tyke and you're just trying to help physically, even though I'm sure your father was like many times bigger than you. So yeah. that's, it's amazing to even hear that you would have that um, motive in a way. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I think sometimes some of us tend to externalize that and some of us internalize that, right? Mm-hmm. And I was an externalizer. So I would, you know, try to, um, yeah, kind of duke it out. That is curious. But what the narrative that I created, the story that started at that time in my life was that the the strongest one wins, right? The biggest the most powerful. And so from that belief, I didn't even know I had that belief, Sue. It just was so ingrained. Right. And so, yes, I, um, after failing PE, I, uh, I thought, I don't want to, I want to be strong. I want to be strong. I want to be able to do pull-ups and push-ups and, um, you know, I want to be able to protect myself. And so I learned how to lift weights and I discovered that since I didn't have an idea of what was heavy, I didn't have an idea of what I could or couldn't do. And again, hail to the teachers because I had someone teaching me. Mm. Um, I had a trainer who recognized, um, you know, the, the constitution of my body and my being and suggested things that were, that she knew were within my range, but I didn't know. So, you know, a long way of saying, I was quickly pushing really heavy weights and I built this armor of my body Mm -hmm. that um, protected me. But again, back to the emotional scope, you know, I, I was, um, protected by my muscles, but I was also protecting myself and keeping out a depth of joy, a depth of vulnerability, a depth of um, relating to myself and to others in a way that um, I couldn't at the time, you know? And so um, my yoga practice, you know, I came to my yoga mat with very thick muscles and not a lot of flexibility. (laughs) And I began to learn what balance means. I began to learn that there's a balance between physical strength and flexibility. And this, this line is coming into my mind. I love this lyric from U2. It's a U2 song that says, are you tough enough to be kind? Are you tough enough to be kind? And, you know, I didn't learn that lyric or even think of that until fairly recently, but I think the process was happening, you know, where there was a a softening um, of that story more than anything, you know, realizing that I can't just armor myself, you know, if I want to have love and purpose and community in my life, you know? And so that really began to shift um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like in a way it went through these really necessary stages because had you had decide to get strong and that that was something you did later in your life, you probably wouldn't have learned some of these really important pieces of healing for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really appreciate your being able to recall that story as a child and why makes perfect sense. And yet it's so embedded that we don't always even have the possibility of seeing it clearly because it's just so deep in who we are. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I'm glad you. you were able to both get really strong and find the ways to keep that while still opening your heart and opening yourself up because clearly you've done a lot around that as well. And you have such an amazing community and such an amazing brightness about you that it's obvious that it's come from so much personal work. So. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we're talking about now really feels universal, you know, regardless Mm -hmm. of what our individual harms and hurts have been in our lives. Um, I almost don't like to use the word trauma sometimes because I think it means so many things. I think sometimes we can overlook something that has been traumatic um, and thinking that it, it doesn't get the, um, you know, it, it's not as bad as I've I heard a lot of people say, well, I haven't gone through what you've gone through. And, you know, I feel I appreciate the recognition of my experience, but I, not at the expense of your experience, you know, mm, that we, yeah. none of us get through this life without feeling deeply harmed or deeply hurt, right? And so I think we can meet in that place and use the same things that we're talking about, you know, how can we find this balance of, of strength and vulnerability and flexibility you know, all of those things. Absolutely. It, it really segues nicely into what we were talking about before we hit record earlier today, which is kind of the mission of you sharing this work with the, in the world. And I don't want to, you know, reiterate it on your behalf. So if you're happy to go back to that conversation with us, it just seems like there was some really important potency there for you. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yes. I, I want to start a forgiveness revolution. (laughs) You know, that sounds like a a hefty title, (laughs) but what I, what I mean by that is I didn't grow up having conversations about forgiveness. Uh, And I don't think that a lot of us do. It's why I call it the F word. Is because, Mm, you know, there's, there's some energy to it that feels taboo, right? That we should just know how to do it and, um, and not air our dirty laundry, (laughs) so to speak. Right. And also kind of see it as something we just do like, okay, go forgive them. You know, um, it doesn't always come across, at least in my life as a path. It more seems like something we're supposed to go do. Right. I don't know how to do that. I've had to learn. 
And so I was just having a conversation in the yoga studio locker room. A lot of good things, right, happen in, mm-hmm. you know, oh, in, in these absolutely. places. And, you know, uh, someone was opening up to me about a, a recent divorce that involves some domestic violence. And she said, I just, I can't, I know you're all about forgiveness, but I can't forgive him yet. And I said, you know, thank you for saying that because I think we got, I have to be pissed first. I can't go from A to Z, Mm -hmm. right? Something that's what gets lodged in my body and shows up as an ulcer or hemorrhoids or, you know, something, right? It's going to come out somewhere. So I am a big fan of what I call FU letters. They've been a big part of my healing process. I have learned that they have to be handwritten because there's something that happens Mm -hmm. through our brain into our fingers, um, right? That, um, That is part of the healing process. That's part of the movement of energy. It's very different than when I do it in, you know, taking notes on my phone or on a computer. So I'm a big advocate of handwriting letters with a commitment (laughs) to not send them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's good to have someone close to me that I say, okay, I'm starting this or that I can even check in with while I'm in the middle of it. When those feelings are bubbling to the surface Someone who can say to me, you know, do you need to just put your pen down and take a few breaths? Or, you know, do you want to do some jumping jacks or go for a walk around the block or, you know, do a good scream? You know, these kind of things that we're talking about using our voice, using our bodies. And so back to the FU letter, I have achieved great success burning it over the toilet. Perfect. I've burned a lot of things over the toilet in my, my days as well. So don't set the toilet on fire, but, um, (laughs) yeah, it's an easy water source. It's a very, um, universal symbol of letting things go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, and I have felt that in my body, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't want to create more harm by, you know, giving the FU letter to the person that I'm, you know, addressing it to. Right. Um, But yeah, that's been a big piece of it for me. Yeah. So forgiveness, let's talk a little bit more about it. What is the kind of juicy part of forgiveness for you? There's a few. There's a few juicy parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One of them is, uh, this is, this has never come up this way, Sue. So it's interesting is respect, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. is that there's, uh, I believe that there's a wisdom in the anger, in the amount of time, or even the steps forward and steps back that we might view it as. Um, I really believe that if I can cultivate some patience, like if you told me what you're struggling with, I would have uh, compassion and patience mm-hmm. and love for you and your experience. Right. The challenge can be, how can I have that for myself? Right. Especially those moments where 
I don't do it as well as I would like to. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about in the book, uh, a moment where I'm screaming on the phone with my dad after a period of time of not talking to him. So mm-hmm. forgiveness can be, forgiveness can be the boundary of not talking to somebody. Right. Right. And, yeah. you know, I believe that's for each individual to discover, yeah. you know, that may be for a lifetime. It may be for a period of time. You know, I think that all of those options are important Yeah, in it yeah. and having respect for that. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I really like that it doesn't have to look a certain way. And I think a lot of us, as we've mentioned, have been taught some interesting things about forgiveness, um, especially in our childhoods in many cases. So knowing that it can be, or that you're reminding us that it can be like a boundary or a saying no, or a not engaging with someone or taking space, all of that is so like, feels so good to me to just hear, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes forgiveness feel authentic instead of contrived. Yeah. Thanks for that. You know, you're helping me realize too, that, um, releasing this memoir and all of these details has been part of my self forgiveness. Hmm. You know, yeah, is, you is about yourself. And so I was wondering, because I'm sure that we all have things in our, in ourselves that we want to heal and forgive and yeah, speak to that a little bit more. I think that's very relevant. Thanks. I think the antidote, the, um, the kryptonite, if you will, to forgiveness is shame, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. is, is shame in, especially when we're talking about self-forgiveness. So a lot of these things that I've written about are things that I was so full of shame things that I had done that were similar to some of my father's behaviors. Um, And some of them were just uniquely my own, you know, that I think a lot of people can relate to, but things I wouldn't normally talk about. (laughs) But what I'm realizing is that in sharing these details, uh, because I've gone through to, I've gone through them, not around them. You know, for a lot of years, I went around them and just pretended that that wasn't part of my life. That wasn't part of my experience, but there's something in sharing them at this level that has helped me be more okay with the things I did that were not okay. Does that make sense? (laughs) Because, because it's creating a place where we can connect. Right. You know, where people have come up to me and said, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't dumpster dive and and take food out of the dumpster and eat it like you did, (laughs) but I did this, you know? And so it, um, brings those dark pockets into the light. Absolutely. You know, it's like a space for our shame to kind of get aired out in a way. It yeah. sounds like, yeah. I love yeah. It. Wow, girl, you're like really just, you know, putting this into the world, I feel like, and especially with, 
you know, the orientation you're taking around it and the way in which you're talking about it. Um, and then really, you know, understanding how so many people in the world, as you mentioned earlier, you know, need a place to understand that they can similarly air out their shame or similarly give themselves the time and space for their own pathway around healing and forgiveness. It's, it's a really huge gift to the world. I mean, we need this. So many people need this. So I just feel like, and I, and I, I can just feel how for some reason it seems like this intensity, like I, I've been like holding you in my heart so much lately, just knowing that putting your story in the world is a big deal. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge that that takes some very beautiful strength and resiliency. So thank, thank you for you. Doing. Absolutely. You know, just to sneak in another yogic detail in light of that is sure. that, you know, um, part of the foundation of yoga teachings is the Bhagavad Gita, right? And Gita means song. And so I believe whether we practice yoga or not, that we all have a song within us, you know, and some of our songs end up coming out in books. Some of them come out in lots of other ways, even not artistic ways, you know, right. but but I love that we have this opportunity to have all our individual songs and notes kind of come together, you know, and to weave that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just so grateful that we could hop on the podcast and talk and share and hear so much about, you know, the, these pieces that are so relevant and yet we can't always capture all of this when we read your book. So it's great to be able to kind of understand your process and your path and your, you know, insights around it. Um, and I just feel so happy for you that you've been able to get this book into the world after all the years of spending time with it and on it. And I'm sure it's been quite an interesting, uh, you know, quest to do that in itself. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. you. You are so welcome. I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast for a while and I'm glad we, we made it work. And I, I just, just thank you for your gifts. They are beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing and, you know, offering a space to have these really important conversations. So I really commend you and the work you're doing. It's an honor to be here and great to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Satiate. Sending you my wholehearted wish for your health and happiness. And I will see you back here very soon.